Welcome to episode 223 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. In this episode, I will be talking to Shaista Latif. If you like Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, I hope that you'll leave a five-star rating or a comment or both. Your ratings and comments help new people find this show, or you know what, even better. If you know someone that you think will like the show, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I knew told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe to Stageworthy on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. So if you tell somebody about Stageworthy, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is Phil rickaby.com and now to my guest shaista latif is a working class queer afghan canadian artist consultant and facilitator shaista is the creator and facilitator of how i learned to serve tea a participatory workshop on the politics and capacity of resource sharing as part of the progress festival presented by why not theater in association with koffler center of the arts february 12th and 15th at the theater center in toronto What can you tell me about uh, uh, how I learned to serve tea? That's such a big, onerous question, though. Like, what? Yeah, go right. Well, why don't we start with what is your what would be uh, your uh, elevator pitch for how oh, I learned to serve God, tea? Oh God, kill me! Oh, um, I, oh I just... I'm so sorry. <sighs> <laughs> I think my work is very much about existing on the margins and really making work out of a lack of resources and uh, having very much like a DIY mm-hmm. attitude towards everything. So how I learned to serve tea really comes from navigating a very imbalanced and equitable industry mm-hmm. in which working class and racialized bodies are not accounted for or mm-hmm. welcomed into spaces. Yep. And if they are, <coughs> we are called perpetual guests. So we're there for a limited amount of time Mm. and then made to exit. Mm. So my work has now become out of that, like come to that out of necessity. Mm -hmm. So um, how I learned to serve tea is like, how do we serve one another in our relationship to power Mm -hmm. and to each other? And um, I don't know, it's it's part interrogation, Mm -hmm. um, part workshop where people are participating and I work a lot with uh, toys and objects, as you can see in my home. Like, (laughs) you know, for me, uh, I think it's um, this kind of work is facilitating a conversation with a sense of play and Mm -hmm. really understanding the power dynamics just by asking questions and allowing people to just, you know, explain their line of thinking. Mm -hmm. And my role is to come in and to reframe them as questions. Okay. So people have some kind of critical distance between themselves um, and the work or whatever they're dealing with. Critical distance is something that I think is in rare supply. These days we're not, we, we've become less a society that thinks critically about things in some cases. Um, and so it's good to have things that force us to examine situations, especially if we are in a place of comfort to take us a little bit out of that comfort zone. No, for sure. I don't even, I think there's, <clears throat> I think there's a larger thing at play for me is it's like ideologies of neoliberalism mm-hmm. and for me what that means is that there's an there's an idea that the free thinking or radical thought is actually happening in a space mm-hmm. but the parameters of how much we can talk about this are limited mm-hmm. so you have this idea so for me like i come in i question like my role in institutions how the time is always limited mm-hmm. both with and without choice and for me it's like i don't know there's uh, palatable radicalities that mm-hmm. are allowed into spaces and other kinds of radicalities that are not allowed in mm. because they present too much of a challenge. So I'm a challenge <laughs> to work with. <Okay. laughs> my my works are very challenging, but mm-hmm. also means no matter who is supporting me, they can't really get away from the gaze that I have either mm. or my analysis. So 
um, one of the things that I posted in relation to the show too. Well, maybe I can show you a video so you can get a better idea of what the show is or what I hate the word fucking show. What the <laughs> the, the word is, right? Right. Yeah. So it's basically that. Um, so I guess the thing that I posted was like, just because you pay me doesn't mean I have to behave. Mm-hmm. And and that is sort of like the kind of different explorations that I'm having. So if I'm working with an arts organization, if I'm working with artists, mm. then for me, it's like, what is, uh, what are strategies that you can implement mm-hmm. in order to learn the language of your enemies okay. so you can navigate and exist, right? right? So um, so it's about resourcefulness. Okay. And on other aspects, when I work with settlement agencies, when I work with newcomers, when I work with like, um, you know, like let's say a rehab hospital that I had a chance mm-hmm. to work with as well, um, I really look at um, what they're in need of. Um, so I'll have like three to five different consultations with mm-hmm. members of a team. They'll come to me and speak to me very candidly about their issues working in their dynamics. And then my job is to go away with that, find research and mm-hmm. analysis and pose the questions and come in into the space as a benevolent interrogator. Mm. So, <laughs> and then I exit. Yes. Yeah. Now, when you're working with with say newcomers, are yeah. you are you interrogating uh, them? Are you interrogating the institution that they're working through? Or are you just inter? Is it like all encompassing for you? I think it's all encompassing yeah. because everything is relational, right? <laughs> so for me, it's not about it's about preparing them for new realities. Mm-hmm. It's really understanding the dynamics that are at play, but also just you have this idea of the immigrant dream of everyone just like you know striving so hard to get here. My parents didn't fucking dream about coming here. I wasn't part of the plan. So it's this idea of like, I can um, exact and have a feeling of gratitude for what I have and what I'm able to possess and go through life. But at the same time, when I work with newcomers is to also really give them the respect and attention that they also understand these power dynamics. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. I put real okay. licorice root. You know what? That's awesome. In it's your... awesome. It's just when you get a little bit of a your teeth. I'm sorry. The power dynamic, we, you mentioned power dynamic a couple yeah. of times. I want to, for a second, just stay with the idea of talking, of dealing, of, of, of working with, with newcomers. And, um, but what, why? Um, cause you brought it up. Yeah. I just okay. go where the conversation goes. Yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of when you say the power dynamic, what, yeah. what power dynamic are they expecting and what are you helping them to come to terms with? Or do they, are they, do you find in general that, that the people that you work with, uh, know what to expect in terms no, of power dynamics. I don't think most I don't I, I think your relationship to power dynamics change and evolve over time too with different experiences too. I think when I don't know, I, I feel like the work that I do is really reciprocated. Like it's reciprocal. So I learn as much as I'm going in there mm-hmm. with like research, I'm also taking from it that informs my research. Mm-hmm. So I get to ask these questions that I always want to ask, like you know, um, how do you relate to uh, the word oppression mm-hmm. or what does liberation mean to you mm. or what does freedom mean to you? And mm. and then also talking about social location. So for me, it's really about looking at different class levels, like working class, middle class, upper class, but then inside those like just like all the complexities that lay. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just to kind of give them an understanding in terms of where they are mm-hmm. in a sort of very hierarchical society. Sure. Right. And to um, be honest with them. Mm, that's important. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's funny because when you say a hierarchical, a hierarchical society, as a, as a white person, my response is we don't have a hierarchy here. But I also know yeah. because my brother is a person of color that we do. Mm-hmm. And so I have that dichotomy. And I think that, that um, in Canada, white people think there's no hierarchy and people of color know there is. I think most people are aware that there is a hierarchy, okay. regardless of color. I'm not like here. I'm yeah. I'm here. I I think here is where I'm still struggling mm-hmm. in my practice to kind of understand. Okay. Like I'm a light skinned person mm-hmm. who is mostly white passing. People yes. when sometimes, even despite my face, if I were to go anywhere else in the world, mm-hmm. I travel to South Korea. People were like, "You're not white, right?" <laughs> because my color of beige is sure. recognized as something else outside of the world of the West, right? Yes. In the West, I could still be considered white. Mm-hmm. Um, 
even if my name and I can speak my language fluently, all those things, yes. right? But I go like, there's, I really want to focus on the politics of class mm -hmm. and the language of invitation mm -hmm. and what actually are the steps that people are doing within these institutions that really advocate for making space mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. Okay. Whether it's with settlement agencies, whether it's an arts organization, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It literally all is the same thing to me. Okay. There's no difference. The mm -hmm. language of a developer, the language of a settlement worker, the language of a curator mm -hmm. is all the same. Okay. There's no okay. difference, mm -hmm. which is really funny for me because I hear it in different avenues about investments, about yes. realities, about returns, about profits. Like they all operate under the same models of mm -hmm. hierarchy and capitalism. My thing is that I go, if they're um, with the recognition that more visible people of color are their bodies are radicalized before mm -hmm. they even have the understanding of it. So what they embody is already radicalized and racialized mm -hmm. before they even identify as such. Right. Mm -hmm. And my dad is like a very brown man. Right. He doesn't speak English that well. There's all these things. He was cab driver for 30 years. So for me, I noticed, you know, watching him translating things for him and watching the dynamics that were at play have been mm -hmm. really informative. It's very complicated because I don't want to focus so much on color, but I know that color, including, you know, for an indigenous, for a black person, mm -hmm. for more visibly noticeable racialized bodies, mm -hmm. like these are important things to account for. But I yeah. think there needs to be a separation between an indigenous person, a black person and other people that identify as people of color. And then. I think what my thing is, is that when we don't have class analysis mm -hmm. in the ways that we analyze and socially locate ourselves, then it just becomes very performative mm -hmm. and neoliberal to me in a multitude of ways, yeah. right? Because there are many people of color who occupy positions of privilege, who come from a certain class background mm -hmm. and financial security, who are able to navigate a somewhat okay, peaceful existence. Mm -hmm. But for myself, like growing up in housing, having mm -hmm. a dad who's a cab driver, not having any financial security or stability, but just going mm -hmm. as I can and also being a caregiver as well right mm -hmm. like it's a different kind of reality but so I'm not really sure you know the question of like color like yeah. um it for me it's 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 still looked upon in a very superficial way mm -hmm. in the ecology that I participate in mm -hmm. which is the performance and theater world yes. I don't think it has enough um it has not given enough platform for that to be discussed so right. I think my attempt of how I learned to serve tea is being like can we talk <laughs> about the thing of class and our relationship to money mm -hmm. and how there's a lack of transparency in the realities of those things, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I'm not failing because I'm not good enough. You know what I mean? <coughs> no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. I was, I saw uh, a tweet just, just earlier today about um, people who are being really successful in the arts are generally doing it because they come from money. Or they have that infrastructure. Yeah. Um, they have the ability to pour time and resources into concentrating on the work. And they don't have to work a job or several jobs just to make ends meet. Yeah. And that's, that is, there's a privilege in, in that kind of art, being a, an artist that, that is able to focus like that. And then there's everybody else who, um, doesn't quote unquote succeed because they just don't have the money for it. And then with racialized people, you, you put the, 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 you said the, the invitation or the, the language of invitation, the language of invitation on top of that and, uh, um, being welcome only so long as the institution allows. It depends on who you're working with, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I'm working with Why Not and Koffler. For me, I, made my own job, mm -hmm. made my own contract. It took a year and a half to negotiate mm -hmm. doing something like this because I was like, I'm not going to fucking apply for a grant because I'm tired. Mm -hmm. I've been doing it for a number of years. It's not because I have a sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. It's a sense of like, I cannot possibly compete with the middle classer and the upper classer who is going for these grants too. Right. I can't. And outside of Calc in the Quebec government, um, no other like, you know, granting body actually asks for a little box that says, are you working class? Mm. Right. So yeah. they can say a person of color, disability, indigenous, they can have the other kind of checkbox checklist things, Right. but they have that missing element. So I don't really like a systemic change won't happen until mm -hmm. you actually address the real barriers that are at play. And so in navigating and negotiating for this position and also like asking for a 45 K salary to, mm -hmm. in order to do this work, which 
I'm working with so many different institutions and organizations, but also analyzing the institution and also like confronting and contending what's happening Mm -hmm. in relationship to me as I'm doing this work, you know, because it has no return. Yes. It's an investment with no return. Right. Because I'm not here to make a profit for you. Yeah. Because my work is not about making profit. Yeah. My work is about can we make the valuable time to have these conversations and these mm-hmm. interventions and an earlier point so a younger person or another person like me doesn't have to encounter the same mm. barriers, mm. right? Yeah. So I think it's a shame because sometimes in this sort of context, we kind of think of the challenge as being part of the individual, mm-hmm. right? It's just the individual. You know, they get, they get labeled as being difficult sure, or yes. whatever it is. Okay. The individual exits, the problem still remains. Yes. Yeah. So what is your point? So I'm I'm advocating for transparency. So mm-hmm. part of like having a three-page artist statement in detail talking about how I negotiated for this position, my justification for it, my lack of overcompensating my gratitude, but mm-hmm. being like it is an artistic responsibility of these institutions to invest in me. Mm-hmm. So I will thank them, but I will also account for the amount of work that I'll be doing will be <clears throat> tenfold mm-hmm. of what I'm able to to be paid for, right? Right. But making transparent my salary is also an attempt to make the other people in positions of power to also be transparent about how much their earnings mm-hmm. are and what kind of supports that they are getting in their social location mm-hmm. as well so we can be honest, right? So once you kind of understand what your differences are, I do solidly believe that there's a way of navigating like a healthier socioeconomic collaboration yeah. with these institutions but when you do not address the ideologies at play and mm-hmm. and everyone doesn't address the sort of internalized oppressor that we have inside of us mm-hmm. that wants to go to this kind of elitist world of like recognition and success yeah. then we're just going to be perpetually trapped in the same cycle yeah. i have lots of young you know bipoc artists always come up to me and tell me this is what i'm encountering what do i do i'm afraid of talking mm. i'm afraid of saying something and it's true because even to this day I still get a certain thing of um, <clears throat> they people can love the radicality of an artist mm-hmm. and the aesthetic of it, but the reality of it they cannot contend with, or they don't have the capacity or the time to contend with. Sure, yeah. and that's the system in which we are in. So I'm like, what do I do? I guess I just want to take the permanent role of perpetual guest. <clears throat> Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying there because organizations love to talk about disruption and they love to talk about the the rebellious artist, but they don't want to actually. They would like that artist to come to them, but then not actually um, listen to somebody who is perpet. Uh, uh, they would call difficult because it's hard. It's hard because you know there's a recognition that this is a tough industry that is really hard. At the beginning, I used to get this is so tough for everyone. You know, this is just a hard mm-hmm. business. You know, mm-hmm. and I go, cool. I recognize that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, are there ways that we can compromise where there are more healthier terms? Like I think asking for like fair pay mm-hmm. and equity to be considered as radical is fucking bullshit. So I think it's just that thing of um the radicality has a certain limit Mm -hmm. and there's a certain palatability and if you go beyond that then it's hard because again people don't have time or the structures Mm -hmm. but then i'm tired of hearing that yeah (laughs) so i go if i'm in the midst of dealing with different kinds of conditions at play in my life and have you know coming from a poor background Mm -hmm. still being working class doing a multitude of positions taking care of my family and my father Mm -hmm. you know at this age you know and still providing a roof over my head, then my expectation, I'm making time to be part of this ecology and to contribute. I ask the same of you in return. But knowing that I will never match in resources or in power the weight of the institution, Mm -hmm. Mm. right? But I think there is this trouble of like when you work in institutions sometimes, and this is doesn't matter what it is, whether it's... doesn't matter what kind of institution. Uh-huh. Sometimes the weight of the institution is placed on the individual. Uh-huh. So when we do have people welcomed into spaces like myself, like um, it's it's challenging work to do because it's not work that's just meant to be beyond stage. Uh-huh. It's a whole process. Yeah. And I think it's really hard to convince people that the process is valuable right. because we're so used to just having a show, yes. having six weeks of rehearsal, having a two, three-week run, 
everyone claps, it and disappears. Done, yeah. But I'm interested in what happens previous to that staging mm -hmm. and in the process of that staging. And also if the artist is being considered and taken care of with the conditions that are at play. Mm -hmm. I don't, don't think we don't, we, we don't do that a lot here. Yeah. <clears throat> no, we don't. Yeah. Um, I will ask, how is that process going right now? It's good. It's good, but it's tough. Like, I mm -hmm. think it's also um, asking uh, the question of um, how much disruption uh, can I create? Or also how people perceive disruption mm -hmm. is very funny for me, too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, I'm a very direct person. Um, in terms of what I need and what I want. So if I'm unhappy with something mm -hmm. or if I feel like there's an idea that needs to have more of a potential with, then I'll say something. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that's, um, it's hard to navigate at times because you have to understand that everyone's trying to do their best job. Mm -hmm. But I also think that I ask the hard questions <laughs> that are really uncomfortable. Like, yeah. do you believe in reforming or do you believe in abolishing the thing? that's harming us. Hmm. So I believe in intervention if the ultimate goal is to abolish the harmful thing that is at play. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in intervention and a need to reform the thing so we can all be good little workers and put our head down right. and continue, right? Mm -hmm. You've I've taken the path of abiding by things, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, and being incredibly diplomatic right. and like quiet. There's been lots of things that have happened with me and lots of people that I've struggled with in positions of power over the years. Mm -hmm. And then there's, um, it didn't really do anything for me. What it ended up doing is destroying um, my practice, yeah. you know, until mm -hmm. I got, you know, um, some prize money and I had uh, gone to Montreal for a couple of years to focus on my practice to kind of get away from all this mm -hmm. and come in only when necessary strategically. And then coming back and returning to it, I'm like, it didn't help me before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, being in the process of subjugation and placation at all times. Yeah. So now I'm like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. So I'm just going to tell you how I feel. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you with the parameters, with respect, with care. Sure. And if you're not able to have those conversations with me because you're not ready or you don't have the time, then I do not think that you should occupy those positions. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you're the right individual to be able to be in a position of leadership. So this isn't a relationship to who I'm working with right now. No. I love both Koffler yes. and Why Not. Mm -hmm. Um, the experience has been transformative <clears throat> in which it's been challenging in a multitude of different ways. Mm. And I and I never promised it to be easy. So I think the funny thing for me is watching this happen and yeah. going, even if there's resistance or if there's like a complete let's play or if it's let's move forward, because I'm not handling one institution, I'm handling two, two yeah. right? So, and two very different institutions mm -hmm. who do work with the public, who do really forefront social practice, but one is a gallery, mm -hmm. one is a theater. There's two different modes of production, yeah. two different systems, but they still operate under some kind of hierarchy, yeah. right? Yeah. Even if they don't want to say, you know, even if they don't really feel that, mm -hmm. the structure still supports that hierarchy, even yeah. if personally if i'm whatever i may not sure. feel that yeah. you know but i know at the end of the day it's not me who makes decisions right sure. yeah, yeah. so i think there's also a very interesting power play and a very interesting exploration of like um i don't know what happens when you sit across an artist who just um or a person who <laughs> i love artists but i don't trust uh, artists in the same way that i don't trust politicians mm, okay so for me, they're one of the same. Okay. So I don't see a difference. So I'm very like, I love being part of this yeah. <laughs> community in this world. But I, I do feel that the sort of critical distance and the critical thinking is very much lacking and is not as progressive as the visual arts or the performance art world. Yeah. If you were to ask me about theater, I think that we're incredibly behind. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I just have high school education. I barely passed <clears throat> grade 12. I'm yeah. a self-taught artist. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I directly started working. And I, I'm more challenged by people and their behavior, and their lack of time, mm -hmm. than I am by interesting ideas, concepts, and forms. Right. So, do you know what I mean? I I'm do. like, where's yeah. where is my time mm -hmm. being placed? Yeah. So when I'm outside of different kind of, and when I'm outside of outside of the theater space, when I'm talking to people, because my, the people that I have in my world are not theater artists. 
I don't have friendships with theater artists. Yeah. I have friendships with other working class people and people who work in different mediums. Yeah. And I and I think it's because I I don't have oh, this sounds so awful. I don't mean to be so I just everyone is is very overproductive mm-hmm. and doing a million different things. Mm-hmm. They'll do like a ten projects in one year. Yeah. And I'm I'm so adamantly against that way of working mm-hmm. that I've only done two projects. I've done collaborations with yeah. artists that have visited from the states, who are performance artists, which is a different kind of thing. Um, but I, yeah, there's just only two projects that I've really. It's how mm-hmm. I learned to serve tea in the archivist that I've been really like working on the mm-hmm. last six years, and I want to have more time to deeply engage with my work and the meaning of it so it could be potent in the long run but if i participate in ecology and economy where everyone's doing like 20 million things like i don't think it ever gets to that level of depth also you don't have time for a life like all the things that 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 you were talking about that you have in your life yeah those would suffer if you were trying to fit in 20 even 10 even five projects at one time so yeah a lot of the artists that I know who are working on so many things, that is their life. Yeah. And that can be exhausting. Well, my life is my work too, but yeah. there's, but it's a way of, for me, it's a way of living. Yes. Right? It's a way of being. Mm-hmm. So the, there is this thing of, you know, yeah, there's no divide sometimes and we need boundaries at times and like a container <clears> so <throat> we can feel healthy moving through it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like it, it's, it, if you can't say that you're a radical, anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist artist, if you are living your life like a capitalist mm-hmm. and you are going and abiding by the same structures of productivity sure. and compensation. Yes, yeah. So I just feel that there is not as much of an address to be like, where are your politics and do your politics align with your work? And does your work align with a larger mass movement? Mm-hmm. What is the larger mm-hmm. mass movement that you are in alignment with that you are supporting? Mm-hmm. So I think for me, like sometimes I feel very, um, I don't think artists should be in a position of leading. Mm. I think artists should be in a position of supporting and helping with Mm. either with policy and with change and with being like a catalyst in some kind of way. But I don't think that we should be in a position of being at the forefront of Mm. leading. Mm. Yeah. Which is hard for some people to hear because they really, you know, believe in that. Yeah. But I've, I have not seen it done successfully. Mm. So mm-hmm. I can't, re- I haven't seen it done successfully at a point where that person has not lost a lot of things in their lives, like time, sure. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the ability to be present. Yeah. I mean, you see that in just generally the business world. Somebody yeah. who, is at, who is a leader has no time to focus on any one yeah. thing um, and does, and possibly some important things suffer because they are going from, from one thing to another and they can never focus. Um, one thing that you said about, about uh, artists being politicians um is a fascinating thoughts because I hadn't thought about that before. But as soon as you said it, I was like, of course, of course, of course, because everybody, just like a politician, an artist is afraid of, of offending the people who give them work. And so they don't say things or they're always like thinking about what can I do next to get the next whatever. And so they're seldom completely honest. We are seldom completely honest. Because there's a cost though. Yeah. Look, there is a cost. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think when when artists operate in a certain way, let's say if you don't want a position of power, <clears throat> I don't want a position of power. I don't fucking care. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I want to be in the position to help a person in a position of power to mm-hmm. understand a certain process or to advocate for the processes of other people to mm-hmm. be in the space. I don't want that. Nor do I want to like lead a company, make a company. It seems like the only way that people can listen to you is if you take on the position of leadership mm-hmm. where I'm totally uninterested in that. But then there's always this like, not that people are disingenuous, but there is a cultivation of a certain way of like speaking and doing and carrying yourself mm-hmm. and the aesthetics of what you represent as an artist too. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm really mindful of those things. And I, and I feel like it's, it's too, it's mind boggling to me how many layers of performance are happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a, <laughs> so. No, it's absolutely right. It's, it's, <clears throat> there's so many layers to it that it's overwhelming to me. So I, I tend to not have as many artists mm-hmm. in my 
world. Although mm-hmm. everybody in my life is very artistic right. and very resourceful and very resilient and mm-hmm. very interested in what they do, they just don't practice art professionally. Right. They practice art non-professionally or whatever you want to call it. Yes. It's a way of their living and their being, but it's yeah. not it's not they're not making a career out of it. Right. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think <laughs> I don't know. I'm also being supported by two institutions. Sure. You know, everything that I've had has been very like I've I'm so grateful for the support, but it's been very hard won because yes. it's not easy to convince people to invest in something that doesn't have a return. Yes. In which the artist is very much carrying on a different kind of framework because I really truly believe in decolonizing the ways that we even do marketing mm-hmm. and the way that we talk about a show and the way that we have panels and conferences mm-hmm. and the way that we subject artists to behave in these ways when it's it's soul crushing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like on a on another level like there's so many people who have a mass exodus you know in their 30s especially mm-hmm. if you're poor and if you're like racialized like i see very few that are able to continue like in their 40s and 50s yeah. So I think just doing this kind of workshop and doing this work and being transparent and like honest with everything that I'm contending with and what it is that's coming up and posing questions um, is a way for me to completely devote myself to the passing down of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like this work is my work, but it's also not my work. Mm -hmm. It's the work of everyone else's that I have like the honor and privilege to be able to take and reframe and like, provide it to another person Mm -hmm. so they're able to use that for themselves right like the one thing that prevents us from getting what we want is that sometimes we're not able to articulate that thing yeah right because language is politics yeah right i learned how to speak this way you think Mm -hmm. this is my natural way of speaking (laughs) it's not i mean i feel very sore at the end of the day my jaw hurts Mm -hmm. my mouth hurts my tongue hurts this is not natural to me, mm-hmm. but it's become natural out of no choice, right? Mm-hmm. Like the way to keep going and progressing is to know how to speak like this mm-hmm. and to recognize what's at play. Otherwise, I would be completely be swallowed up alive or I'd have to leave entirely, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you, in terms of the work that you do, do you describe yourself as a theater artist or how, how do I you describe, describe myself yourself? as an artist? Okay. okay. Don't describe me as a theater artist. Okay. I mean, I do like the tour that I'm doing is the archivist. Like, um, it's a show that changes every single year. It's improvised. It has a structure, yeah. but it's, it's part lecture. I talk about forensic architecture. Mm-hmm. I talk about necropolitics, but then I also tell you about my life mm-hmm. and it's like weaved in with like video art that I've made or music and object work. And that also changes every year that I present it. And I've been presenting it for five years now. Mm-hmm. Six years now. I started in 2014. Um, And again, what I was told consistently was that this work is too experimental. The same old basic narrative that you always hear. It's too experimental. People don't understand it. Why does it change every single time? You know, like, and I'm like, because I'm evolving as a person. And if I'm going to talk about archiving and archiving colonization and archiving our relationships to the West, that is going to evolve every single year that I do the show because I'm evolving and I'm learning new stuff too. Uh So... I do it in these theater spaces, like this tour, like we're doing Southern Ontario, so like the Oakville Performance Center, you know what I mean? Like Burlington (laughs) Arts Center, like all these places, um, doing it there. But then within that, asking, like, I always ask for reviewers of color. I've been always asking Mm -hmm. for BIPOC reviewers to come in to do the work. They don't have to be from the medium, but they could respond with like an image or like a paragraph or a word, just because I want to continue the conversation in a meaningful way. It's not enough for me that people just come and see the show. And also with Why Not, like we've been doing a lot of outreach to all the community groups that are out there offering like um, you know, comp tickets as well for people that have financial barriers. So providing promo codes, like these are all things that are part of my value system. Mm-hmm. So it's implementing it, but it it's harder in theater because it's so rigid. Yeah. It's incredibly rigid. And I, I've been involved in it for several years and I still don't feel at ease mm-hmm. in this community and in this ecology. Yeah. I feel so much of an alien and like deeply uncomfortable mm-hmm. in these spaces even though I'm part of this world that I'm like, wow, like if I feel this way, I wonder how others feel, you know, because mm. even when I've taken my friends, when they come into the lobby, they feel uncomfortable, you know, cause people know each other. It's mm. very insular. Yes, yeah. Like, so I've, so it's, it's just really hard. I'm just in everything that I do, whether it's in theater or whatever it is, I just want to connect with people on a, 
non-performative <laughs> level, while knowing that everything is a performance, then you can't help it, right? Yeah. But just because it's a performance doesn't mean it's not real. I had not before considered that a theater lobby is a barrier to people, but but again. When you walk into a lobby and there are people behaving a certain way, especially in some situations where people are all behaving like they know each other, mm-hmm. that's a great way to make somebody who doesn't feel like an outsider. Oh, they, it's all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I know most people, you know, luckily, you know, having been here for a mm-hmm. few, uh, few years. and But I think it's also even like a gallery attendant. Yes. When people come in too, like they're, they're always usually pose the same kind of questions. Hey, yes. have you seen this art? I'm going to tell you about the artist. But I go... What are other interesting ways that you can engage with a person? Yeah. You know, instead of just delivering the thing. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, how I learned. I'm serving tea. I'm telling you these conversations. I'm breaking down some research analysis. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you some questions. But I'm also modeling a curiosity. Right. I'm deeply curious about the world. And I want to be able to utilize my abilities for mm-hmm. the function of something good. Mm. Right. And I think doing this kind of work is a sense of play. You yeah. know, like... um, I don't want to give away so much, but I kind of think of, you know, there's rocks and leaves and gems and things that we smell and things that we hold. And you go, instead of thinking these concepts of equity and diversity and inclusion as these like academic floating things, you know what I mean? That don't have any sort of roots. Mm -hmm. It's like you take those concepts and you bring it down to like activities and play and people have a faster way of understanding Mm -hmm. what those things are when you're giving them items and objects to play with. Yes. Right. So it kind of brings it down to another kind of level, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, I have a puzzle that is practically impossible to solve. Somebody did the other day. She was very, very proud of herself. And she was like, it took her two and a half hours the entire time of the workshop. Because I go, who likes puzzles? Because you don't know how people work. Yes. So she wanted to participate in the workshop, but she was also very much needing to resolve this puzzle for Mm -hmm. herself. Mm -hmm. So she was able to do both. Right. Mm -hmm. And she did it until the very end, like two and a half hours later. She's like, I did it when I had all packed up. Mm -hmm. She was still there (laughs) and she was still participating. And I felt so happy. But again, it shows me that sort of deep resilience. And it's also a different way of working. And Mm -hmm. then you also it's to show people that like people can do it's learning about how we work together Mm -hmm. and where we come from. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Once you know those things in a more meaningful way then I feel you can resolve some of the issues. This isn't a Band-Aid. Again, it's, I, I'm going to very scary territory. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm still learning and I'm still growing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I want to be mindful that my work is not about placating people mm-hmm. into being nice with each other. You know, yeah. I do believe in kindness, but I believe in transparency mm-hmm. and a value system and your principles and integrity mm-hmm. before any of these niceties come into play. Right. And the other thing is, like, if you're going to have a radical artist, if, you know, quote, unquote, whatever, I don't really think that I'm that radical. I live in the West with so much privilege. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, let's be real, right? Yeah. Like, what is actually at cost for me? Maybe my living, but it's okay. I'll go back to, like, maybe booking, like, at an office again, doing mm-hmm. groceries again. It doesn't matter. I'll figure my way out. But the stake, I question, like, what the stakes are for people. Right. Right. If the stakes are not even that high, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In comparison to other kinds of political artists that are around the world, right? Mm -hmm. Or even across from us in the States, right? And the activists or other activists, even on this land, indigenous people, when they're speaking their truth and there's something at stake in that, right? So I go, why are you so afraid to talk when there's very little at stake for you? Right. What will happen? And then if you're going to do work with an institution, I go, if an institution gives you money, mm-hmm. right? And you go, wow, this is great. I get to do my work. But then you are aligning your image, your name, your work with that company, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That company continues to apply for funding and grants, forever using your name, forever using the project that they did for you in the past, whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? But then you go, if you don't really believe in the values of that company, or you see that the politics of it isn't that right. I'm not saying this about why not. Sure. I'm not saying this about Koffler. Do you know what I mean? But yes. I'm saying past experiences that I've had. Yes. Plenty. Awful. Oh, like incredibly awful that you'd almost think that it's completely made up because it's it's so surreal that right. you're like, this shit does actually happen in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, where an artistic director can yell at you at the top of their lungs and then walk out of the office, like out of their own office and just leave you there. Mm-hmm. You know, so things like that consistently happen. I'm like, I say it and it's like people know that it happens, but the behavior doesn't change. The only thing that changes is my exit. Right. 
<laughs> That's the only way that I change the situation. Yeah. So I go, when they give you that money, when you have that kind of alignment, and you go, if they didn't give you the money, if they didn't give you the legitimization, if you just had to align, what are you aligning with? Mm-hmm. What is worth saving? Mm. That's a good point. What is worth yeah. saving? So I think of these larger institutions like Stratford, mm-hmm. like Shaw, like these institutions that have very much, you know, looked at it as through a sort of white lens mm-hmm. of production, the yeah. people that come and visit it. And I'm like, I if 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 my goal is to get there to be part of the canon, I don't have a judgment of people who have that goal. Mm-hmm. I just personally don't think that it's it's beneficial to the politics that I have and the values that I have. Mm-hmm. But I also think that please don't compromise my principles and my values because mm-hmm. you don't understand where yours is at yet. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing where that's what makes me exit is I'm like when I notice that things are not in alignment with my principles. Mm-hmm. If I see exploitation, if I see being paid, uh, people being paid far less mm-hmm. for their time and labor, but then the institution takes on the image of being so generous and so supportive. Right. You know, I don't ever want to attach my name to that no. because what it does, it gives the green light for other BIPOC people to enter the space to only encounter the same kind of violence, mm-hmm. you know, and I want to be really mindful of that. You know, yeah. you can't just go in and be like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. I'm getting all the support. It's great. It doesn't happen to me because I'm fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Mm, yeah, no. Um <laughs> This this stuff is so much. Like I understand it's also very overwhelming and very intense. I get very like hyperactivated when no, I talk it's about good. these things too. You like know? I, I, I like it. It's a good conversation. Um it's it's and it's challenging and I think that there are things that need to be challenged. Yeah. But it's but it's tough though, because like let's say if you've worked many years to get to a point of success, to mm-hmm. have a Uh, position of power right but then i'm very confronted by the statistics Mm -hmm. and the statistics have not changed the mandates have gotten grander Mm -hmm. with what they're promising in terms of inclusion and diversity but Mm -hmm. when you look at the statistics over and over again they remain the same Mm -hmm. like three to four percent you know representation for like people of color and that's not even again taking account of the nuance of like indigenous and black peoples which should have a different kind of understanding and space Right. So as much as I say BIPOC people, people of color, like again, like there are differences that we need to acknowledge and be super mindful of. Right. Because my presence means the active dispossession of another other. Hmm. Every single time I've given an opportunity, I consider how many other people have not been given that opportunity. Right. And when I take that, it's it's not like, yay, it's like, fuck, how many other people were left behind, Hmm. you know, and had an equal amount of right to be here, to be granted the space and support, right? right? So then I go, what is my responsibility? Is it to sit there and continue with it? Or while I'm in there, just to ask as many questions as possible until you're labeled a difficult person. (laughs) And then you know you're going to exit anyways because I can't stomach not aligning myself with that every single time right. it's really hard because every single opportunity that i've gotten like this idea of like must be so great for you thing it's like really difficult because yeah. it's it's a lot of work it's a lot of like um interrogating yourself as mm-hmm. you're doing it but then also we don't you know expose a lot of things that happen behind the scenes yeah. in terms of how i even advocate for myself every single time yeah. you know like that stuff is not ever brought to the surface mm-hmm. you know um, it is done in panels and conferences, but we speak about it in very like disguised ways and yes, not yeah. naming the specifics. Mm-hmm. So we'll be sitting with the people in the room who have caused those different levels of like harm or inequity, you know, and we'll all be going, yeah, this is really bad. It yeah. should stop. <laughs> yeah. Is, is, do you find the, the, that work exhausting or do you, do you, do you, well, how exhausting is it? I'll put, I'll, I'll end that question there. Or is it something that just keeps you that 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 keeps you moving? Of course the, I'm. Of course I'm tired. Okay. Are you not yeah. fucking tired yourself? I'm always tired. You're you. tired. <laughs> There's a really great quote by uh, Fred Moten. He says, "I don't need your help. I just need you to know that the shit is killing you too. However much more softly, you stupid motherfucker, you know." Yeah. 
you know? Mm-hmm. So it's that thing of like, it impacts all of us yeah. to different degrees and at different levels and at different speeds, but it does impact all of us, right? Mm-hmm. So it may not hate you now. Mm-hmm. It'll hit you later, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're contending with this kind of knowledge at all times where there's too much of a sense of an individualism at times, when I, I feel less exhausted when I'm in community with my other people mm-hmm. in my world who yeah. understand what I'm talking about and also like, you know, make things, talk through things. Like it's not about, a lot of people just want to check out, but mm-hmm. I think there's a value in talking about it and dissecting it that kind of makes you feel that, that could be replenishing. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's about so figuring out how to teach people to actually work through the difficulty in order for it to be transformative mm-hmm. or transformed to something that can be useful. So despite, as I was saying, the resistance or the difficulty, doesn't matter whatever opportunity, they always come with it. Yeah. Because if you're a poor working class person, like racialized body doesn't matter. It doesn't yes. matter how wonderful the people are. There's still going to be things that are in there that are going to be confronting. Right. But if you, I don't know what to say. I guess it's just, it's so hard to say these things. Like, it's a devotional practice. It literally is a devotional practice. Mm. It's a way of being. It's like Mm. every single day of my life is in question of that. And I'm very happy with that. And I could say that if I die the next day, (laughs) do you know what I mean? That I really lived a life that was really in alignment with what I believed in every single day of my life, right? And that thing can't be taken away. So whether or not I'm successful as an artist or not, I don't give a fuck. You know, I'm like, did I do the thing that I was like wanting to do and was helpful with my friendships? But also there needs to be recognition when you support certain artists that have a community Mm -hmm. and have a sense of care with other people, like that progression of that person affects the rest of their communities, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, like having this roof over my hat is really hard to find a house in Toronto. It took me eight months. Yeah. You know, to find a place like it's a basement, you know, I'm constantly like, I feel like I want to rip my skin off, you know, because there's not enough light, you know, like I stand the first two hours of my day in that kitchen answering emails, just trying to get that light in there. Do you get, because my basement apartment yeah. doesn't get any light. Oh my goodness, So yeah. do you, you get some good yeah, light Yeah, I, okay, well, I do, I do, I do, I do. I'm very grateful yeah. for it. But I go and I look at that and I go, okay, because I had a salary this year, I was able to ha- provide better care for my father. Mm-hmm. My father just had an aneurysm a month ago, a brain aneurysm. Mm. Just been transferred to Toronto from Hamilton and aneurysm Niagara. It's a lot, it's a lot to deal with. Yeah. Again, navigating that and being, you know, understanding patient advocacy, understanding him as a racialized body is treated differently differently like how do we get the best care it's not accessible i'm also learning from that but i go the salary allowed me to provide more care for my father and provide more time with my dad Mm -hmm. but i'm also equally robbed of my time with my family and my loved ones because of the work that i do right because it is hard to have these conversations and then the other aspect of it is i'm like oh my god there are a few friends who are in between housing you know who didn't have you know financial security they were able to stay with me you know what i mean like sleep on my couch have an air mattress be able to have space that i could do that because i was able to provide that i could provide a friend alone do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i could do like all these things is like when you when you don't pay an artist fairly when you don't think about the equity it impacts their their family their friendships their community on such a fundamentally deep level you Mm -hmm. know um I, I can't seem to express that enough. Like, if you're lifting someone, you're not just lifting one person, you're yeah. lifting other people in the process of it. And I think that needs to be understood on a more fundamental level. So when you do invite artists, ask yourself why you're inviting. Yeah. Is it because they're popular? Is it because the thing is topical at the moment? Yeah. You know? Um, and I'm not trying to, you know, shit on other people. It's not that. But I think you need to ask more deeper questions as to who are the people that you're inviting into your spaces and why Mm. and if they're aspiring and ascribing to the same level of philosophy than than you are there's no room for like growth yeah yeah um there's a lack of humility in that kind of process you need people that offer different ways of thinking not only for the organizational health we can hire fundraisers right Mm mm-hmm my friend Malek said something really amazing, paraphrasing her words, but um, she brought up a really brilliant point. Um, she came in and saw my workshop launch a couple of months ago at Koffler, and uh, she's like, you know, we hire fundraisers full time, 
right, of these organizations mm. because their job is to bring in more capital yeah. to continue the investment in the building going. But then we have like equity workshops for like, oh, a day. Yes. Or two yeah. or an afternoon. But we don't actually have people in those positions working inside the institution to understand equity and to help mm. equity be understood in all aspects of mm. their organization. And then it's for the betterment of the health of the organization. Mm. But we can justify a fundraiser in two seconds. Yeah. We can't justify someone who's like well-versed or is interested in providing better care for the people that are welcomed into the spaces, right? right? So if the AD, if the general manager, if the other, and the curator doesn't have the time, you have a person in that space to be able to talk through those things mm. and also shift things <clears throat> as they're happening because their job is to reframe that and present that as, um, a, a, you know, like a, a something to be worked through together. Yeah. Right? Why don't we have that? I have no idea. Why don't we but have that? But then I think, yeah. I think because, because we haven't. And like you're saying about the structures, um, it's worked this far. Why do we need to add something to it? But you it's know? not working. It has, I mean, right? it's working for, it's some, working people. for some people. It's working for some it's people. It's working for the people who, who are in those positions where they could create those positions, right? I it's think, working for them. I think it's just like, I think there's just, there's a hypocrisy that I also can recognize in myself, mm -hmm. you know, because I am palatable. Do you know what I mean? To yeah. a certain extent, because look at me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I don't seem that threatening. You know, all these other things, the way that I speak to, all this shit that comes with it. Mm -hmm. So I go, that is my tool and it's also my weapon, yeah. <laughs> right? So where's my responsibility? But I think there's a certain kind of hypocrisy where it's like, um, how could you say that you're anti-imperialist and then get a Canada Council grant for Canada 150? Right. Like there's nothing for me that says <laughs> <clears throat> that that is an alignment with what your politics are claiming to be. Right. Or it's like saying that your work is anti-capitalist, but then like doing ticket sales in a certain way that like profits in a certain way too. Yes, like, yeah. so I'm like, we don't look at these things and then we say it. And then it's like, it makes the public less trusting of artists in the same way that politicians mm -hmm, are less mm -hmm. trusted like not trusted as much. And that's right. where I land. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've seen it in so many different levels where somebody would be like, you run the youth program. It's the heart and the vessel of this organization, mm -hmm. right? We cannot do this kind of work without the heart of the youth. And then you pay the facilitator $6 and 30 cents an hour. Yes. Yeah. You cut mm -hmm. back on the amount of money that you give to the participants, mm -hmm. or you withhold that money until the participants finish, right. knowing that some of them may not have access to like transportation or tokens. Right. The onus falls on the racialized facilitator who has to like buy money, I mean, get money for, for dinner for them while they barely have enough themselves mm -hmm. because they can see the marginalization that is occurring. And yeah. at the end of the day, you know, when you ask for more equitable pay and, you know, contracts to be doubled, there's all that tension of like, we don't have the money, we don't have the time, but then you hold certain programs as a pillar of the institution. Yeah. So that's where I'm like, there's so much hypocrisy in that yeah. that I've experienced and lived through and mm -hmm. I've worked through that I'm, I have a very hard time imagining myself like, um, being in a position of leadership ever because I don't know how to not say what I need to say hmm. at all times. I don't know how to not do that. I can be diplomatic and respectful of it, but I don't know how to not say it mm -hmm. or not say, Hey, that's wrong. Why do you do that? What's the reason? And that gets you into trouble with... with it's not the, about not trouble. trouble. But it, gets, it, it causes friction with the people who are... It, it causes friction because they are truly... Do, they are trying to do the best that they can. I think it's also that... Um, I think, again, it, there's a lot of language politics, right? I mm -hmm. think there's also, like... There needs to be a little bit more careful consideration of where people are coming from, mm -hmm. right? And... What is their relationship to access, right? Mm -hmm. Very simple thing. A very, excuse me, a quick thing to say. His little coffee shop by a studio that I rehearsed in. Not really other coffee shops around here, okay? Go there. There's always this washroom sign that says, you know, wa uh, you know washrooms uh, for customers. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. I think it's fucking garbage everywhere that I see it. 
because it's like you know costs are so high there's like sometimes there's not a lot of things there's like food deserts there's like yeah. deserts just like in in downtown yes. where things are not accessible so the other day I, you know during rehearsal i went for a break and i went there and i was like why do you have that sign there mm-hmm. like do you know how expensive it is do you know what i mean for people to have a cup of coffee or whatever it is and like why is that there? And and she, you know, the person who was working there, she was like, I try not to enforce it, you know, but like there's been people who've come downstairs and like smoke crack and like taken things from the kitchen. And I was like, why don't you just put a lock on your kitchen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. where they don't have access to that. And I really doubt, you know, where this is located that people are just coming in and smoking crack all the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and then she goes, but but my boss is here, like, you know, I, I try to enforce it because, you know, my boss is a nice person, you know, but like she has a business to run, you know, and she goes, I don't think it's really that hard to like, you know, pay $2 for a cup of coffee. And mm. I was laughing because I was looking at the menu. I was like, their coffee is not even $2. No. So you know what I mean? No. no cup of coffee is $2, you know, unless no. they get the small. I don't even know if McDonald's does like a small cup. Of, I think they do they for do like, small, like, it's it's like. $2. It's like but $2. Then $2. But then you add the tax. And then it's you not $2 said it's not $2. Right? Whether, whatever it is, it's usually close to three, whatever it is. Yeah. But I, I, in that moment, like I was like this person, like again, the subservientness of me having the relationship to the boss, not doing this, upholding this like idea of yeah. like all these people are coming to like take things. You know uh-huh. what I mean? When people are just walking and then saying, oh, it's $2 is nothing. But like literally a year ago, like, you know, there's times, there's been times in my life, you know, where I've just counted change to get on the bus yes. and I've only had enough to get to my place of work and then reuse the transfer and hide it to jump back on yeah. on my way back. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I have lived <laughs> this reality. I know how yeah. painful it is, like what that actually means. So I'm like on a very basic level is like not even letting people use the washroom or mm. that even has to be at a profit yeah. out of a normal human function is yeah. like disgusting so i am exhausted (laughs) i am exhausted because i question right and now i'm like do i do a petition do i publicly ask people to stop posting these fucking garbage signs that prevent people from just like doing a very normal function like this is so uncomfortable but then one more thing is like ford not that i know ford opens a real thing but even the student you know the optional fees yeah you know it saves students 300 to 800 dollars to opt out of it Mm -hmm. right where he presented that option a lot of students took that option and then a lot of like fundamental programming for the students were cut you know like the radio program like ciut like lost so much tremendous funding like caregiving newspapers newspapers all the the services that people were relying on Yeah, yeah all of that so you start these students in debt you start these young people in debt at the very beginning of their lives. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you're training them to think in a very individual level. So they're like, I don't need yeah. care. I don't need caregiving. Yeah. I don't need to listen to the radio. I listen to Spotify. I don't care. I don't. Yeah. So that three, four, five bucks nominally that you add up, maybe you save 300 to $800, yeah. but you fucked over a million different types of people, right? Because you don't like benefit from mm-hmm. that service at that time. Doesn't mean that you won't one day be there and you yeah. won't need that. And doesn't mean your friend doesn't need that yeah. or the other person behind you. So there's a responsibility. So I think there's an, like, you know, 10 years ago when you would say fascism, everyone would start laughing at you, right? Yeah. And they'd be yeah, like, yeah. whatever, you're so ridiculous, you know? And now it's commonplace, yes. you know? Yeah. You know, fascism, just the word just falls out of your mouth where before you were such a joke for even saying that. No, that's very true. I've said it more in the last three years than four years than than I ever had before. Yeah. So you know these things. So now it's at place. But this is like extreme fascism where it's like, look at what's happening. Yeah. It's teaching people on a very individual level just because it doesn't serve me. I don't fucking care. Yeah. I don't need to contribute to that. So I'm looking at that in every. So when I talk about these things with you, I'm also talking about these things in the workshop. Yeah. Because my responsibility is to educate and also to be informed, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think there's so much more at stake. So do I care about if a show is successful, if it sells tickets? I don't give a fuck, you know? Yeah. But if it's contributing towards someone's curiosity and their autonomy and their agency, 100%, I'm in for that. But because of the ecology that I exist in, I have to abide by the structures. Yeah. Like, I enjoy this interview, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But... <laughs> It's also a very strange uh, general way of like doing things. You know what I mean? Like here's an interview. Here's your image there. Here's the marketing there, whatever it is. And it's like even the way that I market is also like I'm very controlling in the way how I'm 
spoken about yes. in representation because people take my words and use their own words sometimes, mm -hmm. whatever there is, or they try to make my work fit into an overall larger image, mm -hmm. which I feel like, or they want to put world premiere on my work, which is very colonialist. Yes. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So even companies that are like, we're decolonizing, but then they put world premiere of a show. I'm like, hey, can you not make that relationship yeah. <laughs> like your exertion of like dominating and being the first and like doing mm. this is an extension of colonized ways of thinking mm. so stop doing that so <laughs> it's anyways no, yeah. it's too much yeah. it's too much the thing is what i'm saying is that you need thinkers in these spaces you need thinkers in these spaces you need those kinds of positions to be there not just specifically attached to one project but a body in which not that there should be one because you know classic is they're, they only let one of us in you sure, know yes, at yeah. a time right because yeah. too many of us my goodness yeah. what would happen but i but i do believe in collective forms of power i think yeah. long gone are the days of like one ad one gm one kind of curator one kind of executive director i feel like those things start need to be dismantled mm -hmm. and in order for programming to be fair and equitable and payments to be fair you need to have a collection of people operating the programming and mm -hmm. questioning the programming and the way those funds are allocated and what those funds are used for and what is the image and the politics of that space mm -hmm. once you start to do that then i'll start believing <laughs> That there is actually space for people like me. Until then, I don't think there people don't make space for me because the space is there. I push myself in. Yeah. And I ask these questions to make space. So for me, of asking questions is also a way of existing and also coming into existence as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Shaista, thank you so much for Thank this. you so much. It's so much. I'm so sorry. This has been a Homebody Productions production.